Welcome to the 40th episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we discuss murders that intrigue us. I am Cindy. And I'm Mercedes. Thank you for listening to last week's episode where we featured a case of an accidental shooting death that was later revealed to be a murder. Our show is often horrifying and graphic and we will use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. Also, we are passionate and we always have been about true crime. But we must warn you, sometimes we will make jokes and we will laugh during this podcast. Want to learn more about us? Visit our website at itwasn'metruecrime.com to find links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. If you like what you hear and you'd like to help us out, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a five-star rating along with a comment. Also, please recommend our podcast to your friends. The more the merrier. Hey, Mercedes. Hey, Cindy. How's it going? All right. Yeah? Yeah. How was your week? Tough. Oh, I'm so yeah. sorry. What's going on? Well, I had a friend that passed away. Oh. So that was really sad. So your friend, like your age? Yeah. She was a couple of... I really don't know her exact age. We worked together at a previous okay um, place, and she just didn't wake up. Oh, my. Do you know, like, was it COVID, or do we know, or? No. From what I understand, um, she wasn't sick. She just, they went to the beach. She was fine. Another friend of mine actually spoke with her that day, and she just unexpectedly passed away. Oh, my. Yeah. So I wrote a little a little bit that I want to say. Okay. Okay. All right. Go ahead. I'm going to try to do this without crying. Okay. Don't okay. cry. All right. Should so I get tissue? No. No. I'll be fine. Okay. So she was a wonderful mother, wife, friend. She was also a teacher and all around great person. And if you, um, on our Facebook page, many students, past employees, friends have all wrote their condolences and it's just really moving. So, um, you know, if we leave this earth making the impact that she did, I think that, I think that she would be happy knowing that she impacted so many people in such a positive way. Um, she will be dearly missed. And for everyone who knew her, they are a better person for having known her. I really do believe that. So um, I know we talk about death a lot on this show. Yes, we do. And we joke about it and we, or not really joke about it, but we try to make light of the things that we can. And, but when it hits home, it is, it's scary, especially the climate that we're living in with everything going on right now. And she's not much older than me. And it like really freaked me out, you know, scared me because I have kids and I have grandkids. I mean, I have two granddaughters, two twins, granddaughters, and one on the way. So, I mean, it's just all of those things kind of flooded me, and I was very upset. Um, And I wrote down also that as cliche as it sounds, we really are not promised tomorrow. So, tell your loved ones that you love them every day. So, Mercedes, in the event that I haven't thanked you enough for being my friend, thank you, and I love you dearly. Aw, thank you. I love you, too. You're welcome. Aw. All right, so now let's talk about murder. Oh, now let's talk about murder. (laughs) (laughs) It just doesn't seem like the right time, but okay. All right, so I read all of the things that I could read about this murder. Okay. And it kind of, you know, I mean, like it is when we read articles, it kind of goes all over the place. So I tried to put it as much in order as I could between, you know, my sobbing for my friend and just, you know, life and binge-watching Yellowstone. Um, Anyway, (laughs) so we are going to talk about Karen and Richard Sharp. Okay. How they were not the also-perfect family that everyone thought they were. Okay. All right, so 
Born in Michigan, Karen was one of four children. Her father was an electronics executive. Her mother was a homemaker. They uh, moved to Connecticut during her life at some point, and she met her future husband in high school. Now, they got married. They fell in love in high school, and they got married three months after graduating high school. Oh, wow. All right. So in 1973, Richard and Karen Sharp were married. Like I said, they got married just three months after graduating from Shelton High School in Connecticut. So he was from Connecticut as well. Um, and shortly after that, their daughter was born. So they were pregnant. I don't know. I did, couldn't find any information okay. that said that she was or right. wasn't. But okay. anyway, they both had a passion for like the medical field. Uh-huh. So Richard earned a medical degree at the, um, I think it was like a lower, like a pre-med uh-huh. at the University of Connecticut. Okay. And Karen studied at Norwalk Community College. But in 1995, they moved to um to Boston 1985. Where, oh, sorry. 1985, where they moved to Boston, and Richard completed his postgraduate work at Harvard. Oh. So I don't know if he got a medical degree from the University of Connecticut and then did, like, his residency and all that other stuff that mm-hmm. goes along with being a doctor at Harvard. Okay. Obviously, we're dealing with a very smart individual here. Yes. Okay. And after he grew up, go ahead. Did Karen get, you said she studied nursing at Norwalk. Did she get a degree or you don't know? I could not find um, Mm -hmm. information where she finished. Okay. So, um, unless I'm just glazing over that. But I I did look and I didn't didn't see it in all of the information. There was a lot of information. and then, you know, of course, there's some that is conflicting and, you yeah. know, how that always right. is. Okay. I did find a blog about them. Uh-huh. So some of the information, like some of the more details about like what high school they went to uh-huh. actually came from that blog. Okay. So he's a dermatologist. Yes. Ah. Okay. All right. So he did his postgraduate work um, at Harvard. Uh-huh. Opened a cosmetic dermatology, I must have said dentistry, dermatology practice at the Cape Ann Medical Center in is it Gloucester? Gloucester is how I would say it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sometime in 1976, Richard imprisons Karen in their home for 48 hours straight, abuses her. She later files an affidavit when um, when she filed for divorce. So this is like when some of this starts to come out is when she files for divorce later. Oh, wow. He accompanied me to the hospital while I was being treated, she says, and he whispered in my ear, I want you to die. Oh, my God. God. Yes. Holy shit. Yes. And some and I don't know if I mention it later or not, but it I read where it said that his abuse started like in the week they got married. Oh. Like not before. Uh-huh. Which to me seems kind of odd. Usually I would think that that was a, you know, it just doesn't start one day, but I mean, I don't know if it was leading up to that and that's what she considers the abuse starting and maybe it just es- it was escalating. Right. All right. So, according to Karen, Richard gets drunk on one New Year's Eve in the early 80s. Okay, so wait a minute. So he holds her in prison in 1976 mm-hmm. for 48 hours, and she files for divorce. No, so no, they no. Actually, the divorce is actually many, many years in Okay. Later. Sorry. So so she brought this up. Oh, oh, by the way, yes. back in 1976, he told me he wanted me to die, mm-hmm. but she doesn't file in 1976. No, she files many years later. Like in 2001. Okay. So they were married for quite a while. Yeah, she deals with it. Yeah. All right. All right. So according to Karen, he gets drunk one New Year's Eve in the early 80s, beats her while they're driving home. Oh, Jesus. They stopped at a hotel but were denied occupancy because she was covered in blood. Oh, my God. As a result of the incident, she suffered a broken nose, a concussion, two black eyes, and a split lip. 
Oh my gosh. So does she seek medical care? I mean, he's a doctor. Yeah. I mean, I guess he mm-hmm. could patch her up. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of going through a little timeline of some events okay. and I'm kind of hitting the dates and then when some other information that I find that I found, I'm kind of putting it in under that date. So I'm trying to make it chronological, but you know, well, it's I'm all over the place so, sometimes. But she doesn't open up about these incidents right when they happen. No. She's opening up years later. Yeah. So what you're finding she would she put in court records, but it was kind of later. It was, and later. I think there's okay. one time where um, the police are called. There, there is, but then she backtracks. Yes, like of course. She, and I and I do talk about that because he's she's scared. Yeah. So in 1983, according to an affidavit from Shannon Sharp, which is their daughter, she becomes a victim of her uh, father's physical abuse at the age of 10. He grabbed her neck and continued to slam my head against a wooden bed frame until I could no longer breathe. My My next memory is my head hitting the stairs as she dragged me down the flight of stairs, screaming and battered me. That's what his daughter is saying. Oh, my Lord. In 1995. 85. God, why do I keep saying that? I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at the date. In 1985, the couple moved to Boston, and that's when, um, so he could finish his studies at Harvard. After graduating, he went on to establish the successful business, teach at Harvard Medical School, and form two small but very profitable medical companies. One of these ventures is like a chain of hair removal clinics called Lay's Hair. Okay. Would be profitable enough to give the Sharps a net worth of around $2 million. I really want to do laser hair removal, but yeah, that's kind of off the topic. So not by a psycho like him. No, no. I wonder if it's painful. I know know tattoo removal is is supposed to be really painful. That's what my dermatologist said anyway. Okay. Said it's way more painful than getting the tattoo, which I don't think getting a tattoo hurts. Okay. Because I'm a cold-hearted bitch, apparently. (laughs) 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 So Karen never let on to her friends that any of this was going on. Her family members later, it also says, I I think I mentioned it, that she never even told her brothers that her husband was abusive or that he was dangerous and unstable. A neighbor even described them as the perfect family. So my question is, is what the heck went wrong? How does it, you know, how do you just go from normal in high school to fucking batshit crazy because it sounds like what i'm about to get into he was losing his shit well and then you know a lot of a lot of psychological or um head problems don't manifest until like the stress of adulthood and stress of college and things like that and i imagine going to harvard being a medical doctor any kind of medical doctor having two other businesses I would imagine he was under a lot of stress. Yes, absolutely. And he had three kids. Not that that gives any any right for him to do that. Uh-uh. But yeah. All right. So by the early '90s, Richard's abusive behavior becomes even more bizarre. According to his wife, they went out to dinner one night with her family and drank excessively, or he did. By the time they got home with her family, the husband was. Richard was belligerent, became parading around the house naked, and punched her brother. Oh, God. (laughs) I mean, I would think at that point the brother would be like, what the, you know, Mm -hmm. what is going on here? Is this normal behavior? But I suspect she probably also made excuses for him. Oh, he's stressed. Oh, he drank too much. Mm -hmm. Oh, he doesn't normally. I I mean, I can just hear it now. Right. Right. So April um, 26, 1991, Richard comes home to find his wife with another man. Like, sexually she was cheating on him yeah oh 
All right. The next morning, he stabs her in the forehead with a fork. Okay. Uh, I mean... After Karen reports the incident to police, Richard is institutionalized and diagnosed with major depression with features of anxiety and schizoid or other personality disorders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And those schizoid personality disorders don't manifest until the late teens to late 20s. So, you know, maybe he didn't have those issues when they were dating in high school. Right. Yeah, because his brain wasn't fully developed then. Yeah, I'm not sure what what causes those things to manifest, but I know, like, you can't, like, most young people are never diagnosed with schizoid disorders until much later. Right. Well, the couple's friends never heard about the night that she, of her getting stabbed in the face. I mean, in the forehead. Okay, but, I mean... Never told. Wouldn't there be, like, uh, scarring or something on her forehead? I mean, I'm assuming that it didn't... I mean, if it was her forehead, I mean, he probably stabbed her, but, like, and she probably maybe bled, but put a Band-Aid up there and just didn't tell oh anyone. God. I had a I had a kid lose her tooth in my forehead before. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it was stuck in there. I have a scar still. Oh, my God. I don't have to, like, hear, I'll have to hear that story. I mean, one time a kid threw a pencil across the room and it landed in my forehead. <gasps> and it was like, doing. <laughs> Shit. I'm not kidding. Ow. My poor forehead. God. You hard head. Says I have a big head. Oh, okay. I have got like a five, a five head. A five, yeah. yeah oh, I got yeah. a big old forehead. Okay. So, all right. So at this time, so the doctor became enraged when he, when his wife asked him for a divorce the next morning, and then he stabbed her. So she was like, "Okay, you caught me. I want a divorce," and he stabbed her in the forehead. Okay. Karen fled the house, dragging their teenage daughter Shannon with her. After. The wife reported the incident to police. He was taken to the asylum where he was diagnosed with the things we just talked about. Uh But two days later, Richard Sharp's wife, Karen, recanted her statements to police, allowing her husband to return home. With lots of excuses, I'm sure. Right. And then not only that, but you don't want his name to be drawn through the mud and the the press Mm -hmm. and things like that. And, you know, if he has police charges, is he going to lose his job? Is he going to lose you know business so what is she gonna do maybe she didn't finish school right you know, what kind of job you know because i think she actually later works for him or you know just placing the blame on her yeah sure i was screwing around and i deserved it right. which is what a lot of i'm not saying that screwing around doesn't deserve a for a fork in the forehead but <laughs> probably not a good choice to do right right okay. so it's around this time in 1995 where he starts one of those businesses that i mentioned earlier okay and at first it was called click med and then later turned into the Lay's hair. Okay. Um, the hair removal. So, and it made him millions. Yeah. So he's a millionaire. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it is to also be known that he was bright and very ambitious during the 1980s when he opened these chains. 1990s. See, now I'm going back. Okay. <laughs> so that's a nine. That's a yeah. nine. So during this time, you know, he opened these clinics and helped develop a line of skincare products that he marketed on the internet. Oh. No one suspected his dark side. Of course, because he only let that out when he got home. Yeah. So one woman who knew him recalled that he plucked his eyebrows and looked really odd. You know, kind of freaky looking. Uh-huh. And he was kind of not a super attractive man. All right. Um, but another witness, another witnessed more disturbing behaviors. Karen worked part-time as his office manager. Uh, Richard would yell and scream at his wife until people would become really uncomfortable and these tirades paled in comparison to the acrimony and bizarre behavior that took place at their home. Okay. Did I say that word right? Acrimony? Acrimony, yes. Yeah. Like the bitterness. Yeah. Like, yeah. So then he probably just really let it out. And you see that there's, like, there's different. So 
you know, we go from 1995 to 1999. So there's probably maybe a time period of not so craziness, or it might just be freaking bonkers at their house all the time or ups and downs. I assume there's probably ups and downs, good times, bad times, you know. Well, in 1999, Karen coordinates a high school reunion for their classmates. So Richard becomes drunk and starts throwing cocktails at the DJ. So it seems to me like when he's drunk, this stuff, he's taking it public. Right. And I'm wondering if he's medicated also. Yeah. And because you're not supposed to, you shouldn't, if you're medicated with those things, you shouldn't be drinking. Right. Okay. That's pure speculation assumption yeah, on my but point. based on my own experience <laughs> right yeah don't drink liquor and take your prescription medi- um medi- medicines it doesn't work out usually. no 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 he probably blacks out and doesn't remember a lot that, of stuff that's too. why i stick to wine or you know those wine yeah coolers. i'm not a big uh yeah i don't really like brown liquor yeah okay i just already want to vomit thinking about jameson shots okay yeah Okay, so February 2000, Karen leaves her husband, fearing for her safety. She takes the couple's um, small children. She's got a teenage daughter, and then she has a seven-year-old named Michael and a five-year-old Alexandria. So she takes them with her. Shortly thereafter, she obtains a restraining order against him. Mm -hmm. So it must have gotten to where, like, she just couldn't, she couldn't handle it anymore. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to list those next two things quite yet. Okay. So there are many more instances that those outside the family never even heard about according to court documents that she filed when she filed and even what shannon says like uh, in court and during the proceedings and all of these things so these things just come out so shannon has actually said he grabbed her neck he slammed her head against the bed frame when she was 10 years old and that's kind of when it started for him i mean for her According to divorce documents, disturbing behavior was ruled rather than the exception for the head of the house. So it was the rule. Like, his disturbing behavior was, like, the norm. Right. And, and everybody walked on eggshells around him. Yes. Yes. Okay. I, I can... I'm, I'm right here with you. Okay. So Karen said that her husband liked to cross-dress. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and used his hair lays facilities to remove all of his body hair. All right. Um, he also prescribed himself hormones, stole her birth control pills in an effort to make his breasts grow. Shannon added that on several occasions, Shannon, the daughter, she discovered that her father had stolen her underwear for his own use. Okay, so, you know, I mean, I have no problem with people like this. Um, because if that's who you are inside, it kind of, you know, like your whole life was a lie up until the point where you let it be. Okay, so he explains this later. Sort of. Okay. Yeah. Because I think of, like, Caitlyn Jenner and, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, that was his, I mean, that's what he said. Okay. Now, remember, this is, like, 2000, 2001. Uh-huh. So, it wasn't as widely accepted. Okay. So, according to court records and other online sources, Karen Sharp spent the night of July 14th, 2000, on a charter boat in Boston Harbor hanging out with her friends. Her husband had filed for divorce months beforehand, and she readily agreed. All right, so, so he's filing for divorce this time. All yeah. right. She had taken out a restraining order against him because of his erratic behavior and um, her suspicion that he had hired a private investigator to follow her. Oh. That's why it was strange and chilling when he came to the door the night, uh, shortly before midnight after she returned home from being on the boat. And according to police report, she said, what are you doing here? And her husband answered by stepping into the house foyer and firing a single shot with a high-powered rifle through her chest. While her two children slept in an adjoining room, her brother 
his girlfriend and the babysitter were looking So on. there were witnesses that watched her get shot. Yes. And a seven-year-old Michael later told the witness told witnesses that um why did my father shoot my mother why did he do that i never want to see my father again oh that's horrible now did she die yes okay sharp did not want to see the police obviously so he ran away to new hampshire only to be found in a dingy motel less than two days later he was held without bond he pleaded not guilty to first degree murder first degree murder and then bombshell started so then they started dropped. finding out things about Dr. Richard Sharp. Yes. Okay. Photographs of Richard dressed as a woman started coming about. Um, charges that he physically and emotionally abused Karen throughout their marriage. So she, even though she's dead now, the divorce proceedings had already began. So she had already... She already had all those affidavits. And unloaded all. the restraining order. Because when you get a restraining order, you have to list all those things. Right. They just don't really pass those out with right. really. She had listed all the physical and emotional abuse throughout their marriage that he tried to strangle her he tried to poison their oldest daughter this is all these things that the divorce attorney came forward to say and that he brutalized her for years oh man her friends were stunned there were they did say there were signs that things weren't right but a few days later everything would be fine she just um her friend who i don't have her name um described karen as a doting mother to shannon michael and alexandria and to her, they seem like the perfect family. And I use that in yes, air quotes. in quotations. Yeah. This is just really funny because my sister's name is Shannon and my brother's name is Michael. Mm. But my name's not Alexandra. Should I start calling you Alexandra? No, please. <laughs> That's a lovely name. <laughs> it is. All right. So the trial begins November 2001. The trial began in November 2001. Prosecutors alleged that, or alleged, that Richard planned the murder after Karen refused to return $3 million that he had transferred into her bank account after they separated. There are three million motives that Richard Sharp had for killing Karen. Assistant DA Robert Weiner. Weiner or Weiner? I think it's Weiner. It looks like Weiner, but if you pronounce it the German way, it'd be Weiner. Weiner. Okay, well, whatever. What did the big Weiner say? Bob Weiner okay. said, uh, <laughs> told the jurors he was infuriated about the money. All right. Boop. So can I just stop you for just a moment, uh -huh. please? So this this man, he, it's a, he planned the murder, but it's kind of like. Well, the prosecutors are saying. Okay. Because murder. to me, that doesn't seem like plan. Like to plan something would be, okay, I'm going to plan her murder so I can get away with it. Right. But when he walks up to her door, knocks on the door and, and shoots, shoots her, her in front of everyone. That, to me, doesn't quite indicate a plan, like premeditation. Mm -mm. And he and he'll say that later. I mean, maybe second degree murder. Okay. All right. Because Sharp pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity, the facts of the crime will not be disputed. Or this came from an article okay. saying that they wouldn't be disputed at right. trial. So, yeah, the, these are the facts. They're yeah. not, there's, it's clear that yeah. he did it. He, he never says I didn't do okay. it. But All he right. says that I did it. Yes, I did it, but I was insane when I did it. Okay, so now the prosecutor has to prove that he was sane when he yes, did it. Yes, yes. So Robert Weiner uh -huh. must convince the jury that despite Sharp's oddities and instabilities, he was sane when he killed his All wife. All right. All right, so the, the prosecution will likely call eyewitnesses to the murder. That would be the daughters, the, the brother, and everyone who has ever been a witness to their um tumultuous tumultuous relationship yeah. all right but the most important testimony will be from psychiatrists and other experts whom 
the prosecution would, will use to convince the jury that Sharp was lucid and could discern right and wrong when he shot his wife. Because we've talked about what insanity is before and you don't realize that what you're doing in that moment is right and then in kansas like we, we talked about when we did the kaler case which is very similar as domestic mm-hmm. violence um massachusetts does allow the insanity plea whereas kansas does not right like you're culpable whether or not you were insane or ins- not. Ang- anxious or depressed or whatever right well um the ada dismissed this, saying that Richard had parked his car 340 feet from Karen's house, shut off the headlights, walked up the long driveway with the gun. He reminded the jurors that after shooting his wife, he disposed of the gun, which was never found, drove about 50 miles to New Hampshire, and rented a room. He wants you to think it was spur of the moment, so you'll think he was temporarily insane, and now he's not crazy anymore. How convenient Uh, is that? Okay. All right. I get it. All right, so prosecutors continue to say that he killed his wife because he was angry over losing that $3 million in the divorce. Well, he had given given it to her after they were already separated. So I don't know what he's, like, you, were you insane when you gave her the money, too? I had $3 million. (laughs) You ain't getting that shit back. You ain't getting it back. Uh -uh. (laughs) Okay, maybe a million. I Mm. might consider it, but I, I doubt it. If that was, like, something he agreed to give me, yeah. Um, for certain things and who knows maybe it was like for her to keep her mouth shut about things or whatever but somebody puts three million dollars in my account yeah i would consider it mine it is mine um, yes because okay. you probably had the wire you can't just go like walk up yeah in three there. putting three million dollars into somebody's yeah. account is by the way yeah um, fdic doesn't cover that much money in one no. account so mm-hmm. it would be yeah that would have to be split up and multiple. That, multi- that was way beyond my understanding since I don't know about that kind of money. Yeah. Anyway, so. Yeah, I probably never will. <laughs> oh, I so, will. Oh, you will? Oh, yes. okay. Oh, well, when the empire takes off. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> All right, so his arrest drew national attention because of the photographs of him wearing slinky dresses and fishnet stockings. They were widely published everywhere. They were like this high profile doctor. Yeah, you know I Harvard imagine. Medical, a professor at Harvard. And this happened in early two thousand. Yeah. Okay. So his wife had said in earlier affidavits that he stole her birth control pills to enlarge his breast. And a and a police officer states later, and I don't know if I mentioned it or not, that he was kind of like when they go to arrest him, when they find him, they're kind of off. Put they're like, whoa, he looked like he had breasts, and they were kind of like, I guess they they didn't know what they were. They knew they were looking for the husband, but they weren't expecting that okay so um at his trial sharp does testify that he began cross-dressing at a young age to escape his father's rage all right defense witnesses including his siblings testified that sharp was abused for years by his father he testified he didn't remember much about the night of the killing so maybe he was had been drinking and he blacked out i mean all the things we kind of already talked about right a defense psychiatrist said Sharp suffered from a half a dozen disorders, including depression, intermittent explosive disorder, which caused bursts of rage or aggression. The experts said alcohol made them worse. Mm-hmm. Didn't I just say that? Yep. Right. But prosecutors said Sharp faked the symptoms of mental illness. I don't, I don't necessarily think he faked them. Maybe he is exploiting his mental illness to benefit him since he killed his wife. He did not kill his wife in a burst of rage. They argued, but planned the slaying after she left him. 
Mark Smith, a partner in the law firm that represented her in the divorce, said that he hoped that Sharp's death brings some closure to this nightmare of the three Sharp children, which, I mean, I think we can all agree on that. When he went to trial, to downplay the sensational accusations that Sharp's personal life um, and that he was, you know, insane and mm-hmm. not accountable for his act, blah, blah, blah. So just so you know, cross-dressers are not insane. No. I mean, that can't be part of his insanity as defense is it? No, I think they were actually going to try to, like, keep that from being brought okay. up. Yeah. But it's brought up, I think, because they're trying to use, like, his abuse as a mitigating factor. Okay. Um, Richard claimed that he was beaten and abused by his father. And at the trial, um, when his, his siblings testified that, yes, this this did happen, he's not making this up. Um, Richard also said that he began dressing, you know, early on. Because he noticed that his sister didn't get beat by the dad. Hmm. So he figured if I dressed like, I guess it. Well, surely he didn't come into, you his know. house it, dressed like that. Yeah, he I didn't mean, go to dinner with a dress on. I mean, I, I can't rationalize that because it seems like that if he came in with wearing girls clothing, the dad would probably be enraged by right. that. But maybe that was part of his mental illness. Yeah. Like thinking, well, if I'm dressed like this, then I mean, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know. Years later, he had a nose job and plastic surgeries on his eyes to make him look more feminine. All right. So I don't know if the beating, if he like took a a hit to the head and. Well, I can. Or if this was just who he was to begin with. And this is this is his excuse for being that way because he doesn't feel, you know, like I can just say, Mm -hmm. well, no, I want to dress like a woman. Right. Right. Richard um, claimed that he was devastated when his marriage fell apart. And he believed that the marriage could be saved. He said that he didn't remember much about the night when he shot her in the chest, claiming he was temporarily insane, which we already know that. He never disputed shooting his wife. He claimed, again, I don't need to say it again, he thinks he was insane at that time. He did take it, the stand in his own defense, which I'm kind of surprised that they let him do that. Well, if he, he he's kind of, I don't know, something mentally ill where they think they're the smartest people in the room. Yeah. So that would you know go to show that oh yeah well let me tell my side i can manipulate the the jury yeah this is true told the jurors that a he had a vague compulsion to reunite reunite his family and that led him to her house with the loaded gun well that's the way to do it under gunpoint Yeah. yeah jurors however they didn't fall for this and they didn't really believe about his mental like his testimony concerning his mental illness and um and that a toxic combination of red wine and prescription medicine left him unable to remember much of the shooting and why he had taken her life. They didn't believe his story. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was on meds. Oh, I was drinking wine. Oh, you know. Right. He didn't. They. He wasn't. He wasn't convincing. Apparently, the trial goes on for about three weeks, two to three weeks. What did it adjourn for that long? Mm-hmm. I get into how many hours they it took them to come back with. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, and. I guess in comparison to a three-week trial, it's not that long. So, but um, there was also a defense psych- psychiatrist, psychiatric expert, expert Doctor Kenneth Ablo, who diagnosed Sharp with the several. You got a wiener and a blow. <laughs> oh God! Oh, fuck. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> that is spelled a blow. <laughs> oh Lord, that's unfortunate. <laughs> so. You know, in addition to the major depression issues, borderline personality disorder, the explosive disorder, and um, that he should not be held criminally responsible for the shooting. The jurors were like, "Mm, yeah. That borderline personality disorder is some scary shit. 
honestly. Um, people with that, yeah. Like Jody Arias was. Oh, I see. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Like, how did that, how does a person with that disorder kind of act? Like, break it down for me. Well, I don't, I, I don't know exactly. I can't remember, but I know that it's, you know, like they're master manipulators and, um, I don't, I'll, you know what? I'll bring that up next time. I'll, I'll go back and review it because I don't remember right offhand. I mean, I know that lots of people, I mean, this is not really uncommon for people to get mm-hmm. diagnosed, but I'm, I'm just wondering, I wonder, yeah, I'm going to look that up too. Yeah. Master manipulator. I know that they're master manipulators for sure. So I'll look it up real quick. Well, this um, psychiatric expert also traced Sharp's problems back to his abusive childhood. He told the jurors the doctor began cross-dressing as a teen to avoid his father's insults, which to me, that seems like that would make his father's insults even more, even worse. I don't know. All right. Um, Symptoms of borderline personality include emotional instability, feelings of worthlessness, insecurity, impulsivity, and impaired social relationships. And it's common, very common, more than 3 million U.S. cases per year. That's crazy. Hmm. That's crazy. Sounds like a lot of people that we might know. (laughs) All righty. So, Wiener here also urged the jurors to discard the doctor's findings, saying it was just psychobabble. But how, I mean, but the prosecution hires... If you're mentally unstable, sure, maybe that's what led you to shooting, but you still killed someone, so you should still... You're still culpable. And I think when when you are found insane, or like not guilty by reason of insanity, I think... There's like you you go to an insane asylum. I think I don't think you they just don't let you off on the street. Like right. That's a yeah. Your maximum like there are certain your facilities. Yeah. Okay. okay. He also continued by saying that child abuse is not an excuse to kill someone. He painted Sharp as a calculating murderer who had planned the insanity defense all as a part of the perfect crime. Hmm. He said he's faking it. Um. So he's like getting really emotional in his I guess like in his. Uh, and his closing, closing arguments. I was, uh-huh. I was like, in his okay. dissertation, in his closing arguments, and he shouted, he's faking it at the jurors. He con- um, contended that Sharp wasn't crazy, but furious because he believed his wife had stolen this $3 million from him. The prosecution called for a series of business associates and acquaintances of Sharp who testified that the doctor was alert and rational the day of the shooting. Others testified that he was interested in buying a gun weeks before the crime and tried to hire someone to ransack his wife's belongings. Mm -hmm. Sharp himself admitted quickly disposing of the murder weapon and fleeing to New Hampshire. Prosecutor um, told the jurors that shows a guilty conscience. So his behavior told them. You know, this is a guilty conscience. And he's he's trying to, you know, he's getting rid of the weapon. Yeah. So the trial lasted for about three weeks. And the jury consisted of six women and six men. And they only deliberated for about 12 hours and found him guilty of first degree murder. Now, to me, so that's like an hour a day, essentially. I mean, two weeks, three weeks. So not even an hour of deliberation. So I'm wondering... Well, they deliberated for 12 hours. I mean, hours. I don't, and I'm, t- I'm equating it yeah. to how long the trial was. Right. And so... I mean, there's probably a lot of evidence. They they had to figure out, is he guilty of first degree or a lesser charge of murder? And so. I didn't see where he was charged with anything mm-hmm. other than first degree. But the convention, the, conven- the conviction means that he will receive a life sentence without parole, period. On the day of the verdict, 
The defendant was only 47 years old. He dressed in a white shirt, navy tie, kept his eyes closed as the verdict was read. When the jury foreman announced the first-degree finding, a cry of yes rose up from the friends and family of Karen Sharp, seated in the front row of the courthouse. Sharp, who had already been, um, who had already had two outbursts during the trial, said nothing but scowled at the bailiffs as they immediately placed him in handcuffs. What, what was he shouting? I mean, before you said he had two other outbursts. Do we know what those were? Right. So off to prison he went. Oh, good. Bye bye. Yeah. All right. So after the verdict, Karen Sharp's sister Kathleen Limbo, now the guardian of her two minor children, mm. stood on the courthouse steps and. Just described her sister and I quote Karen Sharp was a loving mother the best sister anybody could have she was a wonderful daughter and friend said Lim- Limbo who was surrounded by her brother's father and husband referring to Richard Sharp's claim that his wife cheated on him and was having an affair with a contractor at the time of her murder you've got a sense of a lot of things that weren't Karen Sharp in the courtroom but Wiener <laughs> and his people were able to convey to the jury that she was not that person so they're trying to say to me, that, that statement says they were trying to say, you know, oh, well, he was driven into insanity because she was cheating on him. Even if she was cheating on him, that, well, one, they were separated. But in some people's minds, that that's still cheating. Mm-hmm. That does She doesn't deserve to die. I mean, if she was cheating on her husband even before, she, you know, look at what she was dealing well, with. And they were I mean, trying to, you know, let's, let's put the blame on her. Yeah. She deserved it. No one deserves that, no, no matter... But she didn't deserve to be treated like that either. And she obviously wasn't getting the emotional support she needed from her husband. Right. And so she sought it elsewhere, whether it was physical or just emotional. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that it's right, but I'm saying I could, I mean, I I could see where it led Mm -hmm. to that. Right. So she also noted that her sister never told her or her two brothers, like I said earlier, about the abuse. She didn't share it with any of us because she didn't want us to feel her pain. Right. Or, you know, you don't want to be... Um, belittled you feel like your you know your self-esteem is low if, if I'm letting this I don't I don't know there are a number of reasons why people keep quiet about things yeah because I mean a lot of people I mean I've never been in a in a violent relationship like that like I've never experienced domestic violence mm-hmm. so I mean as a person who's never been through that you know I'm thinking why would you let someone do that to you but at that point when it gets to that point I think that you're because I do know someone who was in a very, very mm-hmm. bad domestic violence relationship. And it's like, by the time it got to that, to where he was physically hurting her, she was so beat down yeah. that it was, what are you going to do without me? You're never going to make it well, without and me. And especially when you have children and you're like, mm-hmm. how am I going to pay for, how am I going to, you know, take exactly. care of my kids? And, you know, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm overreacting to things. So, I mean, you know, your I'm, mental state is not right. where it needs right. to be. Absolutely. So your self-worth, I, I'm not, you know, I mean, I, I get it. And that would be hard to, because that's, in, to me, like, it's embarrassing, too. You know, yeah. you think, I can't believe that I'm letting someone do this to me. Right. So why would you tell anybody? Right. You know, it takes a lot of courage to admit that to anyone. Absolutely. All right. So while awaiting trial, so here I'm going to talk about some money issues. Okay. That are different from just that $3 million. All right. All right. So while awaiting trial, he sat in jail. Sharp allegedly offered another inmate $1 million to help him escape. Okay. Because that inmate can help you escape somehow, right? So, But the inmate read news articles saying that Sharp's assets had been frozen to benefit the other two children. So he ratted them out. Okay. And a guard found correspondence outlining the plan. So remember that movie SWAT? Did you ever see that? I don't know. It was like a... Not 
SWAT, like the TV show, uh-huh. but it was like a movie. Okay, and probably. the guy offers, oh, like on national, uh-huh. like they're filming him like on the news, like live. And there's like, I'll offer $1 million to anyone who can, you know, bust me out of here. And so then some of the SWAT team members go bad and it's a good movie. Oh. Um, it's got that Irish guy in it, um, Colin something. Oh, well, Not Colin Firth. Okay. I have the no other idea. Colin. I have no idea. You would know him if you saw him, I bet. Okay. He's pretty. All right. So in March 2001, Sharp tried to prevent his children from getting checks from his retirement fund. Isn't he a asshole? Yeah. He said he needed that money to pay for his legal fees. A lawyer for the children urged that the child support order remain in effect, saying that's the only source of money these kids are getting for child support. And let's not forget this man deprived these three children of their mother. See those little hands? Bless him. I know. Karen will never see that child graduate from high school or get married or anything Uh. else. I know. His daughter, um, their daughter is quoted as saying, it should be clear that I have no doubt in my mind that my father's actions are unforgivable. Like, they were totally, but they were, they, I mean, she might have seen some physical abuse, but those other kids, they watched, you know, they were present. They they might have been six and eight or younger, but they're not stupid. They're children. They have eyes, and they know what's, Mm -hmm. you know, right from wrong. Well, Shannon and the other two siblings eventually sued their father for $1 million. $100 million. Yes, $100 million. Did he have that much money? I guess so. Well, and if he still has that Lay's hair, you know, he's got... It's probably real... Someone probably bought it, I would yeah. think. And uh. so, and the babysitter, the family babysitter, brought a $5 million civil suit against him, citing trauma of witnessing the murder. Wow. Uh, I, yeah. So the anger that his family feels towards him may not have registr- registered fully with him because in a, he wrote a letter to his daughter. Dear Shannon, I loved your mother. I miss her terribly. I cry every day. I want nothing but the best for you, Mike, and Allie. The only thing that gets me through each day is the thought that my children may need me. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, they don't need you. Uh So then he tries to kill himself. Oh. Yeah. In 2002, at the age of 54, he was found. uh, He tried to hang himself, but he failed. Okay. So in 2007, he went on trial again for trying to hire a hitman to murder the ADA Robert Wainer. Oh. But he was acquitted from that. I guess there wasn't enough proof. Oh. And then in 2009... He succeeded in his mission of suicide. So he was found hanging in his cell. He wrapped a sheet, a bed sheet, around his neck and, and hanged himself to death. Oh, okay. After an investigation, officials found no reason to suspect foul play and ruled it a suicide. Oh, yeah. Prison wasn't the right place for him because he oh, couldn't he, hang. Oh, but, yeah. He was probably someone's bitch, too. Yeah. You know, yeah. Bubba was getting after it. Oh, God. <laughs> you know he was especially yeah. if he had boobs yeah i mean and laser hairs laser hair surgery yeah i mean he really was kind of like I, I does he did he have dark hair like like the yeah. image of phil specter is coming in kind my mind. of yes okay. yes so they're very similar looking right and very dark hair and odd looking yes um yeah we should maybe post it post this picture on our uh on our fan page or our one of our oh yeah yeah, I've seen, I wonder if I've seen any kind of, oh, yeah. So she's showing me pictures of him dressed as a woman, and yeah, I think I've seen pictures of him, and he does look like Phil Spector, doesn't he? He does a little yeah. bit, yeah. Interesting. All right, well, thanks, Cindy. You're um, welcome. 
Good story as usual. Thank you so much for listening to this week's Murder. We appreciate sharing our passion with you and we thank you for your support. If you'd like to support us even further, please consider subscribing to our podcast and giving us a five-star rating and a comment. Your subscription and ratings are essential to our success. You can do this on your favorite platform. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, please visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. We are so grateful to spend our time with you to share our murderous stories. Thank you so much for your support. Please recommend It Wasn't Me to your true crime-loving friends and family. And if you'd like to add more, please give us an email at a true crime podcast at gmail.com. At gmail.com. Also, thank you to our Patreon supporters. You are the extra. And you too can become one of our beloved patrons by signing up at patreon.com forward slash It Wasn't Me pod. Thanks again, guys. And remember, It, it Wasn't, wasn't me. me.